Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt Lasky. I am a cis white gay man, a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining me today for this episode is Anish Taylor. Um, Anish, thank you so much for coming. Can you introduce uh, yourself, your pronouns, and uh, a little bit about what you do for a living? Yes, sure. Uh, my name is Anish Taylor. I use he and pronouns. I am an urban planner. I specialize in transportation, specifically active transportation, which is biking and biking and walking. And so the company I work at is contracted out by municipalities for bike and pedestrian master plans. And so I just started, I'm new, uh, the f- company's located in Seattle. So I just relocated from Chicago a couple of months ago. My time before this job was with the Freshwater Lab at the University of Illinois, Chicago, which is uh, what I'm gonna be talking mostly from today, that experience. The Freshwater Lab is a program at UIC that has a few different parts. The first part is a class that students can take, and it's an interdisciplinary class cross-listed with English, history, public administration, and and urban planning. And it is a class about water, society's relationship to water, um, water in the built form, how water is delivered to us, and where where water comes from when we open the tap and where water goes to when it goes down the drain. Uh, the class is about all the systems that are in place to, to allow for us to do that. Um, it takes an environmental justice decarbonization lens and it is also rooted in community. You know, like the class, the professor, Rachel Haverlock, she's um, very passionate about this subject matter. And so being a student in her class is very engaging. But uh, she really brings in the perspective of community orgs and the perspective of people that have been displaced and marginalized by the carbon infrastructure. And oftentimes the carbon infrastructure, and when I say I'm talking about refineries, mines, that kind of thing, are located on bodies of water. Uh, or on waterfronts, basically. And we have those in Chicago, uh, on the shores of Lake Michigan and the shores of the Calumet River on the south side. They are bodies of water that have been transmogrified into channels for conveying industrial products. So the class at Freshwater Lab is all about that. Okay. There's another part that uh, there's there's an internship component where the professor can place students at internships to do real-time work, uh, advocating for communities, advocate, uh, working at you know green, green infrastructure organizations to decarbonize and to you know reintegrate formerly industrial areas that have been decommissioned and are now either vacant or you know sitting polluted. What to do with those? How to how to stitch them back into the urban fabric and provide access to people living in that area. So that is what the Freshwater Lab does. There's a third component, which is um, an arts and engagement, which is the component that I was most recently working with. Um, 
there was a grant that we got to do an engagement project and the project was about the Chicago River and we told the people's history of the Chicago River because it is a body of water that was channelized which is to say that the river bank was made vertical and it, like there were metal corrugated metal boards to keep the shore up so that the river was basically turned into a canal just so that the flow can be controlled for boats to transport fossil fuel products so what are the implications of that um gotcha that's what the project that i was working on was about it's called the backward river um and that yeah so that's the freshwater lab in a nutshell <laughs> okay okay um sounds like there's a lot <clears throat> of, of facets involved with that and different like disciplines that kind of go into this topic. Uh, and so there's mm -hmm. a lot to dig into here and looking at my list of questions, um, it's hard to know what where to start with it. Um, first, mm -hmm. I want to establish why um, urban planning as it relates to, to bodies of water or waterways uh, is something we should all at least know about or be invested in because um i think it's it's especially true for chicago but like around the country not everybody has access to waterways or large bodies of water like the great lakes like we do here in chicago um so on on a grand scale uh how do we why why is urban planning worth worth thinking about so to speak Yes, the built environment has an effect on the human psyche. And I would just give an example of like, imagine walking around a suburb. You know, the suburb is built for the automobile. So it's built on a scale of the automobile. So walking around a suburb feels dangerous. It feels stressful. It feels like you're not supposed to be there, you know, yeah. like, and, Whereas if you imagine walking around a city that was built before the advent of the automobile, those cities were built at the human scale. So walking around that type of environment feels better. It feels like, you know, it's for you. It feels welcoming. It feels engaging. Um, it's stimulating the mind. It promotes human connection. Uh, just chance encounters of somebody you walk by, you know, the, the, the type of interaction that can occur uh, the connections that can be formed from those serendipitous random chance interactions of just people walking past each other in a urban, in a built form that is human scale. Yeah. So it, it has a difference. Uh, um, it just makes a difference on the human psyche. Um, and, I, you know, for human scale examples, I would suggest like imagine walking around downtown Philly, those streets are very, the blocks are narrow. Um, the buildings are different. The buildings are shorter. Um, another example is, you know, just like European city, old towns in European cities, if you've traveled, those are blocked to cars, you know, you have to, you can only go in on foot or bike. And so walking around a place like that feels more welcoming and engaging. Yeah. So that is kind of why uh, it's important. And how it relates to water is that, you know, water, this is an indigenous epistemology that I, or indigenous like way of knowing a way of thinking about the world is you know water is a sustaining life source it is essential for human life so human settlement have always been close to water and so that's just 
innate to humans. And so yeah. thinking about that is something we're not taught because we are so far removed from our innate nature. And so um, part of the Freshwater Lab's work was to reestablish that connection within self um, and try and allow communities that have been barred access to the waterways to begin to reestablish a connection to the water. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because I think well, for both of those points, but for uh, what you just said about how every major city is is constructing near water, like that's true. I just racked my my brain and like topographically, every like city or settlement that I, you know, have a, a decent knowledge of is centered around at least access to water mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's a lake or a nearby river or the Great right. Lakes, whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah, truly. I mean, it makes sense that we should be thoughtful about the way that we relate to that natural resource. But I also especially yeah. resonated with what you said about um, just the way cities are laid out, because that is like the most prime example of urban planning that you might not think about until you're like confronted with the difference. I think mm -hmm. this is like a tangent, but um, growing up, my friends and I used to play this game called Kidnapped, which is like a horrible name for it, but you like <laughs> would like bring like a member from the other team like drive them as far away as yep. possible in like whatever amount of time and then the other person has to, <laughs> other team has to pick them up and just by like giving directions this was before smartphones were a thing um and we would always play in my hometown which is michigan uh and so all the streets are just numbered squares so it was really yep. easy and then we did it once with a friend from the east coast who lives in like what was once like colonial massachusetts and he's like uh -huh. that would be so much more difficult there because all the streets curve yeah. and wind <laughs> and they weren't set up according to a grid so right like i said that's an anecdote but like the the way in which cities are laid out and at what scale are very um do impact people whether they realize it or not so yeah um, mm -hmm. i love that so so good we've established why we're talking about this what, mm -hmm. what the scope is so um let's let's talk about chicago and kind of what the situation is because I think I wish we should get like historical context mm -hmm. before we dive into like the implications and how we fix it and all those things so um Chicago especially for me uh, I moved here a year ago and I had from Michigan which I wasn't far away it was like three hours but the drive through um mm -hmm. goes through Gary um, right. and I did that drive several times and it's always just such a stark interesting like view because you have like the pristine like Michigan and then all of the industry in like Gary and Hammond and all the way up through there um and even in Chicago you have like you said the Chicago River which was uh well canalized canalized Calumet channelized channelized that's it yeah so you have the yeah. Chicago River that was channelized and then the Calumet River which was just made completely industrial so there's juxtaposition there too so mm -hmm. there's a lot there's a lot going on how did we arrive at this point and what did we do right and what did we do wrong um, so the history of chicago is one of industrial like it was an industrial center and that is what it was mainly uh built upon um it in the 1800s the main commodities were lumber like meat like pork and beef meat um, 
I can't remember what the other major. I was say, don't were, stress but, too much about details. Yeah, but I, I were, get you. Basically, it was at a crossroads of rail and water, and that is what made it an industrial center. So, the reason there's so much industry here is because industrialists, um, owners of capital, uh, had control of whatever governing body was there in the 1800s and built infrastructure for their needs. So that is why the industry, that's why the Calumet River looks the way it does is because it was um, basically land that was appropriated for the use by like industrialists for to make money out of. Yeah. Uh, essentially that that's that's how it was people that lived there were you know pushed aside um same thing for the chicago river it was reversed uh the flow was reversed originally it was it went into lake michigan but they put a lock there which you can see down my navy pier that's kind of why the if you go down there, there's kind of like machinery and equipment and pumps and locks and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's a, you know, recreational place right by Navy Pier is what I'm talking about. But um, anyway, there's a gate there that blocks water from Lake Michigan coming into the Chicago River and they open it as and when they need the flow to increase. So the purpose of that was to flush industrial waste down river because there were factories and refineries and uh, you know smelting yards and ironworks and steelworks and that kind of thing that was pouring their waste into the river and it was creating a lot of pollution. Um, and so they, the way that they decided to take care of this problem was that uh, they reversed the flow so that it would go backwards into ultimately the Mississippi River. So that is kind of the origin of why um, why the industry is located where it is and why the rivers look the way they do. Yeah, so so I mean, obviously the big thing that I, I, yeah, I noticed right away and that kind of blew my mind upon hearing it was that they reversed the flow of the river, which seems like a huge um, feat and mm -hmm. obviously like very impressive that we did that, but uh, is that the right? I would actually counter that it's impressive by the standards of modern industrialism, but it's not impressive from the standards of like taking care of the land and like so. That notion is based is not based in compassion, care, and gratitude for the water and the land. So it's impressive from the perspective of a person who you know is benefiting, is making a lot of money from it. So I just I encourage us to reframe how we think about that feat uh, because it was it was necessarily not based in care, gratitude, compassion, love for the land and the water. Rather, it was based in domination, hubris, and you know greed. all all greed and all those types of things. Thank you so, for saying that because you took the words out of my mouth because I was like when I first heard of it I was like oh that's impressive. And then you think about it and you're like, well, that seems like, uh, you know, putting a, a Band-Aid on a wound, but not like treating the wound itself. Like we're, yeah, still, yeah. we're still dumping stuff in we're the, the water. We're just 
change mm-hmm. where, where it goes. So it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. impact us as much. Um, right. So I, I thank you for that, for that clarification and that challenge, because I think a lot of Chicagoans, especially probably Chicagoans with uh, privilege and, and in certain neighborhoods don't ever think about the, the, the ramifications of that decision. Um, mm-hmm. And they especially don't probably regard our waterways with the, the amount of um, respect and um, gratitude that they deserve. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, in the, in that, um, in, in all of that industrialization, you said that along the waterways, especially, um, well, not especially, but I guess I, it's more noticeable now around the Calumet River that people were displaced in order to turn that into industrial um, factory transportation setting or areas, I should say. Um, is that still the case today? And how do, have we seen how Chicago's neighborhoods have kind of formed and, and the differences between those neighborhoods and how that is that related to where the water is? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So there have been industry along the waterway since the beginning of Chicago. And, you know, in the late 20th century, early 21st century, as industry was declining, a lot of areas were decommissioned. And Chicago has something called industrial corridor. It's a type of land area that the city of Chicago planning department actually categorizes areas as industrial. So there were industrial corridors all along the waterways. And um, so some were actually on the north side um, in neighborhoods like Lincoln Park, um, Rogers Park. I don't know about Rogers Park, but like Lincoln Park, Lincoln Square, uh, there were industries along what they, what's called the North Shore Channel. That's what the name of the waterway is up there. And so those were, as those were decommissioned, those industrial areas were retrofitted into, uh, you know, commercial, residential, and recreational. And areas, industrial quarters on the south side, they have not been uh, recategorized. So they are, they continue to be industrial. So that has equity implications on, you know, like the white north side gets their industrial corridor cleaned up and and turned into an amenity for people to uh, use and to like, uh, you know, uh, recreate on basically. Yeah, it's housing, it's it's shops, it's whatever. Yeah. They can jog alongside the waterway. They can, you know, boat in the waterway. They can, you know, go fishing in the waterway. And so that kind of thing. Whereas communities on the South side, they do not have that. uh, They do not have that access. So this has equity implications all, you know, what this industrial quarters are, decommissioned and how they are retrofitted um who gets the benefit of the waterway um it's different you know and it goes along racial lines in chicago and in many places honestly yeah that's that's an excellent point and i mean that disparity between the north and, and south side is something that i was made aware of very quickly upon moving here and has implications across a lot of different um areas. I mean, obviously, it, it has implications as far as healthcare goes, uh, availability mm-hmm. resources, there's a lot of social determinants of health involved with that. But right. to your, and maybe this isn't a question that's answerable, necessarily, 
Um, why do you, why uh, do we think that's the case that the north side got their industrial areas cleaned up and the south side didn't? Like I said, I don't know if it's answerable, but uh, I don't know the full story. I know just white people a... have more resources, and so they can, you know, elect aldermen who are going to, you know, close the industry or elect aldermen that will turn the industry into some type of or residential area. Um, whereas in the South side, it's the industrial industrialists and the owners of all the factories and steel mills and refineries and smelting yards who have more power and control in the city government. That is as much as I can tell but I don't know, like the, I don't know, like the origin on how and why the industry, yeah. like along the North Shore Channel, what when they closed and why they closed that kind of thing. Yeah, I imagine. No, I imagine that like as the land value became more uh, valuable, developers came in and wanted to take advantage of that and turn it turn the industry into into uh, you know commercial property that they can make fun make money out of yeah that makes sense it's kind of a like well everything it all kind of feeds into each other where yeah if land value is higher and there are more you know potential customers with more money in their pocket that's where commercial uh industry will invest and build stores and build shops and that in turn fuels uh political candidates to want to continue to invest their time and energy into keeping that going. Uh, mm -hmm. And so unfortunately it seems like a, a microcosm to the way that a lot of politics go, but uh, th yeah, that's a big question and not one that's really easy to answer, but I think everybody kind of knows mm -hmm. why it might be the case. The other question <laughs> I, I had uh, in response to that is you mentioned like people on the North side uh, in regards to their waterway are able to like go like kayaking or like walk along it and all those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I can like hear critics of this being like, well, everybody in Chicago has access to free, like to drinking water, to like sanitary water to use. Obviously it's nice to go kayaking, but it's not like going to change anybody's life. Like what is, what is the importance mm -hmm. about having access to water in a recreational sense? Um, mm -hmm. I can hear like people saying that it's like not that big of a mm. deal that they don't have that. Mm. So what, how do we think about that in regards to the division between the North and South side? Yeah, the access to water has actually like uh, mental health effects, basically. Um, you know, if, if somebody has access to a place they can go outside that's clean, um, and the air is breathable, like it just promotes more activity, more an active, an active lifestyle, whether it just be walking along it, jogging along it, just being outside next to it. So um, it, it, um, it involves, so it, you know, just, it just promotes health, basically, um, both physical and mental. Um, if you've ever gone out to the lakefront and just kind of like sat and looked at Lake Michigan, um, you might feel better after looking at it for you know just a couple of minutes um, it, it has that effect um, if you allow it so people who don't have access to it are you know they don't they don't 
benefit from you know those health benefits that come with uh, being alongside it. Um, one of the things I learned most that I was surprised about is that a lot of people feel like Lake Michigan is not for them because it's in the white neighborhood and they have to go through Lincoln Park or whatever it might be or Lakeview to get to it. And so like people on the west side oftentimes, and it's only two miles, it's so close. So something that I learned that was fascinating was that a lot of people don't feel like the lake or the lakefront is for them. And it has to do with what is around it. And what is around it is a lot of expensive houses and expensive shops. And so people that don't can't afford all of that stuff are going to feel like this is an area for them and not for me. And that is, that's a shame because water, the lake, you know, it's for everybody. It's technically held in public, held in commons by the government. So it's like, it's something called the trust doctrine, which we, uh, which the freshwater lab teaches students, but you know, the water is a public commons held in trust by the government. So it's technically for everybody. So it's a shame that people that live two miles away don't feel like it's for them because of all the uh, gentrification that occurred in the neighborhoods that abut the water. So that's kind of something that I invite people to sort of reclaim their relationship to the water and that's something that Freshwater Lab, that's part of what the arts and engagement program of Freshwater Lab does is kind of like provide a mechanism and means through which people can engage with the water and the waterway so that they can begin to form a relationship with it. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think anybody that has lived um, near a significant body of water, whether it's Great Lakes or any other inland lake or, or river, mm -hmm. um, that that sense of um, ownership is really uh, mm -hmm. unique. Like I'm, I'm from Holland, Michigan, which is on Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, just 20 miles inland, there's a larger city, Grand Rapids. And mm -hmm. there are, because Holland is a small town, all the mm -hmm. land along the lake is uh, private. Um, all the beaches are private. Uh, yeah. They're, they're public in that you can walk along them, but the access to them is all private. Um, and so, and all the, most of the houses along there are all very nice. So the, the kids from 20 yes. miles inland, mm -hmm. in most cases have never been to the beach, even though it is, you know, right. a 30 minute car right away. Um, and so that phenomenon of, not phenomenon, but uh, routine, I should say, of, of access to the water being monopolized by people with lots of means and resources isn't um, mm -hmm. something new. So yeah, it, and and that does make sense that it you know the same concept applies to Chicago and and that yeah. that access does have ramifications on somebody's life because mm -hmm. uh, the the it, it seems because a lot of people in government and and topics related to or areas related to this are focused on like numbers, like where's the tangible like impact this will have, you know, where's the money flowing, mm -hmm. whatever. But when it comes to access to water, that's not necessarily like a tangible, mm -hmm. trackable, like, like well-being, yeah. Right. Like metric. Measured. Like there's not a like there's BMI, which is a sliding scale, but you can't mm -hmm. there's no metric like that for a community's attitude towards water. So 
I, I love this episode because at first glance, probably not a topic people would think that they need to learn more about, but it mm-hmm. really is something that kind of flies under the radar because it's not, um, you know, uh, you can't put a number or, or, or a, you know, a tracker necessarily, mm-hmm. or can, or can you, I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah. We often don't think about it. Like, you know, we just kind of take the lake and the rivers for granted and it's right. just like, that's how it is. That's just the way it is. And so we never really think about why is it the way it is. And, um, that's true. The private ownership along the lake is, um, I don't, I think that's kind of, that's wrong. Like the lake is supposed to be for everybody and you have somebody privately owning land against it. Like their people are barred access from a public good that's meant for everybody. Yeah. And when the public good is water, like water is the source of life. So it's just kind of like we're blocked access from something that is so essential. And that I think is, you know, backwards and wrong really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. in in Holland they have Lake Makatawa, uh, which has a really famous lighthouse on the channel between the mm-hmm. Inland Lake and the, the Big Lake. And um, there is this very wealthy family that owns the land right near the lighthouse. And the lighthouse is like the symbol of Holland, and everybody likes mm-hmm. to walk out on the pier and visit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just decided, I don't want people walking past our house, just past their house, not even like through their land. And so they just like mm-hmm. barred access to the lake to the from the public for like, you can only go out like one day of the week. And that's it. Yeah, kind of wild. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I have there's these kind of stories are not uh, unique, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. I, I wonder, so, so, so how do we go about fixing this because in I mean in terms of property obviously those people own their property and reclaiming land or like government buying back land is a huge process but then there's also mm-hmm. the public sentiment towards water the public sentiment towards our natural resources as a whole like it just seems like mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to kind of correct so where do we start or where can somebody who's maybe not invested or involved in these kinds of policymaking areas uh how does the average person go about uh yeah. raising awareness or, or changing their habits to to correct this yeah i i think i mean it, it kind of just starts starts with asking why what with, within oneself and just sort of like questioning the status quo questioning why things are the way they are questioning wait why can't i go to the water wait why is the like like that why does river look like that you know you just kind of like start this internal self-inquiry and then you know it allows you to expand your mind for alternative systems that might be placed like once you ask why it looks the way it looks you one would invariably arrive at uh, something an answer like because owners of capital bought it and are making money out of it and you know that's why it looks like the way it does so then you kind of looks like you kind of just sort of like allow oneself to enter a, you know, line of questioning and thinking about, well, is there another system? You know, if this is a systemic issue, you know, like, is there another system that can be possible? And, you know, there are other other systems that can be possible. Um, and, you know, I, I suggest looking towards indigenous groups because indigenous groups did live 
in harmony with and and they they lived in relationship with uh in, in kinship with the natural world um they didn't see themselves as a part of um which is how we see ourselves today so i mean i think the goal is to undo conditioning that we have been given since birth where we are set apart from nature and you know it's something to nature is something that is out there or that we own or that you know we we you know take a boat ride on or you know we go hiking through you know it's some rather than it nature is something that we are in relationship with you know those are two different mode modes of thinking and the more we go towards the latter you know the more we sort of build a relationship with and reframe our thinking and you know decondition those modern way of thinking about nature, the more we will feel like getting organized around, you know, changing the system so that, so that, you know, they're not taken advantage of, you know, like if we're in, if we, if we feel like we are in kinship with Lake Michigan or the Chicago river, we will feel affronted that it is being abused so egregiously by refineries along the coast and we will you know organize around and build community with around people who want to see something different yeah um so this is kind of a a suggested route or path um particular i i recommend people get familiar with the notion called land back which is where land is returned to indigenous stewardship um, and that's, I mean, it can start there, you know, like yeah. once we learn that we are sort of settlers on indigenous land, we can sort of learn how to take guidance from people that have been here for the tens of thousands of years. And then, you know, we can be, we can live more harmoniously with yeah. each other and with the land. Yeah. So. I love, you said a lot of good stuff and I took a lot of notes of things that I want to to touch on. Um, I love that you brought up language and the way that we discuss nature and and, and water and, and how we interact with it. Um, because every episode and every topic we talk about, I always try to like get some like vocabulary lessons in there because I think mm -hmm. the way we talk about stuff is, you know, you'll always talk about something even if you're not directly involved with it. So changing the way that we talk about something is the easiest and quickest way to start to affect some sort of change related to an area. Um, mm -hmm. So like we just did an episode on, um, you know, for World AIDS Day. And so we say people living with HIV versus an HIV positive person because it changes the way that we think about something. Um, mm -hmm. And so I love that you say like we spend time with nature, not in nature, because nature is all around us and if we start to mm -hmm. kind of change our vocabulary in the way that we say what we're doing in regards to being outdoors or being in nature or being near the lake um mm -hmm. it can it 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 strikes me as almost like intentionally anthropomorphizing our nature in the way that indigenous groups did uh in that like mm -hmm. these resources are living breathing so to speak aspects yeah, of you, our culture and so you know we should engage them that way and build that kind of respect for it yeah the 
the lake, the river, the trees have agency and are their own living beings. And we can, humans did before colonization, but, and we can go back to um, viewing them as relatives, as kin. Um, and in, in that way, if we're family, we will be upset if our family member is being harmed. And so that way, you know, we, we just reframe, we rethink, decondition um, our way of looking at the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any, you know, the, you mentioned the concept of land back. Are there any, like, governments or, you know, agencies, larger organizations that have done a really great job at modeling what this looks like and that are, like, tangible like um i know probably i would guess that america is not the shine most shining example of how to kind of mm -hmm. reclaim our relationship to nature but are there mm -hmm. examples abroad that have done this really well i don't know the details of this but there was in new zealand the there was a river that was granted personhood um by the state and so it meant that you know, the river deemed enough, like the river was deemed uh, like it deserved the same amount of protection as a, as a person would. Yeah. I just so I forget the details, but. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a long article, so I don't know that it'll help, but it's uh, a sacred river to the Maori people. Um, mm -hmm. And it sets a legal precedent granting it personhood that it has um, similar or same rights to a person. So if there is an action taken that would harm the well-being of the river, it's prosecutable. Um, mm -hmm. You're able to prosecute that person for that action. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, definitely a, a, a model. It looks like, um, I don't know when that happened necessarily. Oh, recently, like August of this year. So um, I guess, Hopefully time will tell whether or not um, government agencies respect that status uh, mm -hmm. and that it's repeatable. Um, but I love that concept of, I mean, not to tie it to my like religious trauma upbringing, but like treat, treat somebody else and or nature like you would, you know, right. want yourself yeah. to be treated. So it's, it's the same sort of sort of principle, I think. Yeah, so like imagine if the Great Lakes were granted personhood, mm -hmm. the refineries would not be allowed to dump industrial waste in the, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. What I and I, I always try to approach these podcasts uh, in uh, with a sort of like lens of like I could hear people from my hometown uh, counterpoints in my head, um, and so obviously we would love for industry to not occupy coastal, you know, land and to not dump pollutants and things. What would you say to people that are like, well, that's necessary for the society we live in. You know, if you want to pay so and so much money for your, you know, Starbucks coffee, then, you know, it's the same mm -hmm. argument that people use when we want, you know, better healthcare or whatever uh, yeah. economy, all of that. So, so, with that counterpoint in regards to like natural resources, what, how do we, how do we accept, not accept, but like hear that and, and have a response for it, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, I know what you're talking about. And I think that sentiment is kind of just is rooted in a very sort of rigid, rigidness um, and uh, unwillingness to be open to uh, different ways of knowing and being. And so I don't know what I would tell that person, honestly speaking. I, I, I struggle with that myself. Um, yeah. I, I, I will just say that, you know, the existing status quo with all this industry where it is, like it's, it's producing more than we need. Um, and if we were just honest with ourselves about what our needs were, we wouldn't need to consume so much. Um, I think, I think like capitalism takes advantage of people's desires for things. And so if I, I want to say like, if we just desired less, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard question and I kind of threw it out of left field. So I, I get it. I yeah, think yeah, I know. I can, I think there was a line from like a Greta Thunberg speech or something where she's mm -hmm. like, the, the destruction of our natural resources is based on the myth of continual um, economic growth. Um, yes. Where like, we're obsessed with producing more and more and more because of a metric that we made up that we think that yes. we have to follow. When in yes. reality, if we only produce as much as we needed, we wouldn't need these mega factories. We wouldn't need, you know, yeah. all of all of the things that are causing so much harm. So, right, yeah, it's a multi-layered issue, and not you know, yeah, there's not an it easy is, solution. But I I get what you're getting at. I think it's interesting. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we kind of know the the history. Of, uh, yeah, I'll just recap a little. We we know what we've. We talked about the, the history of Chicago in regards to the industrialization of our waterways, kind of what's changed about them in relation to the neighborhoods that they're in um, and what those neighborhoods look like and how they've been impacted. Uh, we talked about the way that we like interact with nature in regards to like respecting it and um, what might be possible if we change the way we think about industry. Um, as the climate crisis continues to um, advance, you know, are there ways, and this might be a question that's better suited for another episode, but there are ways, are there ways in our day-to-day -day life that we can change our habits that will um, show that respect to our natural resources or to our water more? Everybody in Chicago, whether or most people in Chicago, whether they know it or not, are receiving their day-to-day -day water from Lake Michigan, from the water cribs. Um, I mm -hmm. live on Lakeshore Drive uh, in a high rise. And so I'm at my kitchen sink using water from the water crib. I can see like right there. Um, mm -hmm. So so how do we change our day-to-day -day habits or how do we change our day-to-day -day mindsets um, in order to kind of bring about the change that we need in this area? I think it, like starting in a like a mindset based in gratitude um, and just sort of like thinking about where your water is coming from and where it's going 
after you use it so that, you know, you just sort of like are more mindful on how you use it. Um, and it kind of sort of like that, that's a foundation for, um, for, for changing one's perception to view the lake as kin so that you're in relationship with it rather than living next to or jogging along or biking along or, or, or riding in a boat on, you know what I mean? You're just kind of like, yeah. you have a relationship with it and an emotional connection to it. And so you just, it just, it just naturally changes one's habits. Once, once a person kind of like forms that level of connection. So, you know, fostering that connection, you know, what can people do to do that? Um, it starts with a, a mindset of gratitude and, and understanding and thinking about where it's coming from and where it's going to. Um, the Freshwater Lab has resources on, you know, learning about this on, you know, how you can sort of understand this network of, you know, pipes that bring uh, the water to you and take it away from you. So, you know, going, once you kind of like start understanding this, um, you can, it, it, it lends itself to sort of, having a relationship with and once you have a relationship with then your habits change um, yeah. it's just natural kind of natural course of uh the way it goes um and then like you know the more you know about it the more you kind of learn about other different issues like the lead pipes you know like why is some of the pipes that bring water to people made out of lead that leaches toxic chemicals that are you know you know that stunt human growth and you know like parents have to fill baby bottles water from a lead pipe and that's just kind of you know uh unjust so um you know you start thinking about that and you just sort of like kind of just snowballs it snowballs yeah, kind of. yeah. i i totally get i imagine it's kind of similar to um uh the way that we receive our food um you know if you were yeah to have, have to you know if if you're a meat eater slaughter the pig and bring it to your table i'd imagine you'd probably right. be a lot more you know you, the way you interact with your food would change um definitely and if we knew where our water was coming from and where it went we'd probably have mm -hmm. the same same attitude so i will link um that project in the bio so or in the mm -hmm. episode description so if people want they can um click on it use the resources to educate themselves uh on on how that all works because yeah i it's to a degree it's sort of like for for a lot of people who are you know educated probably feels like magic you'll turn on your sink and there's the water uh and there's no thought that kind of goes into all the process it takes to get it there um mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm, i i'd imagine you are less likely to leave the water running or to take that long yeah. shower if you right you know right right things and and especially right. if that that knowledge is coupled with that respect and relationship with those resources. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, we're getting close on time, believe it or not. So one last question, uh, and then we'll wrap things up. So um, I like to ask this of, of every guest on the show, which is what is one thing you want a listener to walk away from this episode with? Like, what is the, the moral to the story, story, so to speak, in regards to um, our waterways and our natural resources? Yeah, I'd say it's that reframing, re um, you know, deconditioning that way of starting to think of the natural world as kin um, and feeling like one is in relationship with. I think that is the key takeaway 
um, to to yeah to to for change really you know mm -hmm. once because once you're in relationship with someone you feel the emotional attachment and connection just like they are kin that you would feel you know like you want to take care of them so um i think that's where it starts yeah it's, a, it's the first building block it's building that relationship thinking of our natural resources as kin and then adjusting our habits and, and lobbying for change from there so i think that makes perfect yeah. sense um anish i uh, thank you so much for enlightening yeah. all of us uh in, uh, on this topic like i said i i think this is something a topic that people might not have considered, uh, you know, if they're scrolling through the list of mm -hmm. topics that we've covered, uh, this might be something that they didn't see coming. But I think this is such an important um, idea for people, especially in Chicago and the Great Lakes. Um, mm -hmm. Water is really our life source here. So knowing how we interact with it and how to um, to to benefit from it in a just and, and um ethical way i think is, is a huge thing. totally so, yeah thanks um, for your curiosity yeah i i say this to everyone uh and it's kind of a running joke but i never mm -hmm. mean it disingenuously is that i would like, i say we'll have to have you back um <laughs> but it, it's always mm -hmm. true because everybody i interview always has so much um passion and, and knowledge about their respective areas that like i i could just keep talking but we'll cap mm -hmm. it at this time um again sure. Anish, thank yeah, you so thanks. much yeah, I'll, no I'll, problem anytime I'll, thanks for inviting me yeah have a good one okay Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. And that has been our episode with Anish Taylor on uh, urban planning, natural resources, and, and water in Chicago. If you are interested in the um, Freshwater Lab, like you mentioned, you can uh, click the link below to learn more. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening.